because the knee is going to come back, the tibia is going to come back, and it's going to try and externally rotate the talus. Okay, so that foot is supinating. Um, so if that knee comes back too early, you can't pronate. So everyone is out there trying to get triple extension, obsessed with triple extension. And all I want to do with any lower limb injury with anyone is delay knee extension as long as possible. That was biomechanics specialist David Gray speaking on the foot and pronation and its relationship to delayed knee extension, movement, and athletic performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the Free Lap Timing System, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The Free Lap Timing System has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 160. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and thanks for being here for another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. If you checked out the teaser, um, you're start, pro- you may have heard some words you're not, uh, that tend not to be used that often in athletic performance. They're often reserved more for uh, physiotherapy and gait analysis on a treadmill, things like that. But pronation, supination, these are really important concepts. Uh, before we get any further, it's important to always have like the literacy or the, the terms or it, it, the episode makes less sense. I know a lot of you know what pronation is. As David will mention, pronation is the flattening of the arches of the foot. Uh, that flattening causes a stimulation uh, for the reaction of the supination muscles. So think like glutes and, and all our, our powerful extensors. So we need pronation to supinate well. We need to load to explode. Um, just uh, fu- fundamental concepts of movement. Uh, very important concept. The foot and how it connects to human movement. And again, how we've heard in the past on this, um, po- um, on this podcast with the Darian Barr, how the, what's happening at the foot impacts uh, everything up the chain and what you're seeing in an athlete's biomechanics. So uh, don't worry, this episode is totally digestible uh, regardless of where you're at. This is a vital episode for anyone in athletic performance, anyone in physical therapy, anyone who deals with athletes and human movement. This is an absolute goldmine of an episode. Okay, enough about me blabbering about that because let's introduce and talk about our guest. David Gray is a highly integrative biomechanics specialist from Ireland. He has been influenced by many of the top minds in the world, and he creates solutions to get clients to fix their movement, get out of pain, and in turn, run and perform better. Where I first found David was actually on the wonderful world of Instagram. Uh, I Again, I, I try not to find my information on Instagram, but sometimes it's like, is Instagram just smart? Is it taking over the world? I don't even want to get into that, but uh, <laughs> what I am what I am saying is when I saw David's videos, I don't remember when the first one was, I, I was seeing all these concepts that I've heard from like Gary Ward and Darian Barr, and it just made really good sense, and I loved the way he explained it, and I could tell that here was a guy who had, who had himself integrated a lot of top methods into his own process, and so today's episode, Talking with David is all about pronation, the feet, and an integrated view of biomechanics and muscle action. David's specialty is restoring pronation in the foot um, and the body, which should be a little parenthesis since pronation, as he'll mention, is a full body action. Um, and the last straw that like led me to get David on the show and reach out to him and say, hey, Lan, let's do an episode, 
was I, on Instagram, I posted a video of Will Clay, and this is in the show notes if you head to Just Fly Sports, triple jumping. And there, one of the David left a comment saying, uh, commenting on the pronation and the, the delayed knee extension. I believe it was something to that tune. And I started to ask him about it. And, and the more that I got into that conversation, I'm like, wow, this is absolutely vital for anybody. And regardless of what spectrum in the field you work with, and pronation is just absolutely key. I, when, I, when I work with youth, um, like club track and field athletes, I know I see like if you watch kids who are 9, 10, 11, run and jump, after, watch that after listening to this episode. And you'll see what they do really well, provided they haven't like worn too much shoes and they actually still, you know, they play and do normal kid stuff. Um, you're going to see a big difference in how they move and how we move as we meaning adults. <laughs> um, not always, but, but typically. And so once you understand pronation, which is David's specialty, and he has been highly influenced by Gary Ward, who was for, uh, previously on this, who spoke on these topics as well. Uh, and Gary's the man, by the way, if you don't have his book, uh, What the Foot, it's it's awesome and has a lot of this type of information in there as well. So, But once you understand pronation, it's like you took the red pill in the matrix. Everything changes how you see things in squatting, how you see things in sprint drills and running drills and mechanical stuff and, and pretty much anything with someone who is like, like if someone has big weight room numbers and they can't jump all of a sudden you're going to have a huge reason a knowledge why more so than just saying well i think you're force dominant you need to get faster whatever that means okay i don't want to steal any more thunder uh from this from the show itself so let's get to the show with david gray he's going to go uh, at length into pronation what that means to us as coaches and trainers and biomechanics specialists uh, he's going to talk about foot differentiation, restoring pronation, his take on the stable mobile joint paradigm, and a whole lot more. Enjoy the show. Let's get to it. So, David, I did want, since you are from Ireland, I did want to ask you how many joints, again, there are in the foot as an intro to our show. Yeah, thanks for that, Joel. Uh, 33. <laughs> that, that Very good. You, you and Robbie, you guys have been practicing. Does everyone in <laughs> Ireland practice that? <laughs> Not everyone. Yeah, I'm sure. that just comes naturally to us, I think. Yeah. Anyways, um, but hey, man, I'm I'm really happy to have you on the show. Like, I, I've been following your work for a little while on Instagram, things like that. I'm always I'm always learning a ton from what I see. And you know, I, I before we get going, I usually don't ask this to to everybody, but I'm curious, like, what what made you get into, or what really drew your interest to um, the foot and like the holistic integration of, of pretty much everything you do. Um, what's your background and who have your mentors been in the process? Yeah. Thanks for having me on Joel. Um, background is actually the hardest question I ever get asked because it's so varied. I played a lot of Gaelic football and hurling to Irish sports all my life. And when I got to my, I think I was about 19, I fell off a moped i think you call it a moped so a motorbike when i was in america and i bust my knee pretty bad and i went home and played on it and i basically had a hole in my knee for about three months and played on that over and over again and i got really really bad patellar tendonitis and i was doing marketing and sales job at the time and so i saw like all the best specialists in ireland all the best rehab guys and it was dreadful. Like the advice I was getting was absolutely shocking. So basically over like five, six years of having the most chronic patellar tendonitis every day, uh, training every day and then taking painkillers and anti-inflammatories, I decided I am going to figure this stuff out for myself or at least, at least try. Um, so I kind of traveled the world and met as many of the smartest people I could. Um, cause I was just constantly being told your glutes aren't strong enough. And it just wasn't good enough for me. So, yeah, I traveled the world, met some really smart people along the way, um, went into some, so I kind of went into the gymnastics world. So I thought like stretching and mobility was going to be the answer. And I went big on that. And I ended up worse off probably as a result, because I was like, if these guys can move like that, they can't have any pain. Like they, they must be amazing. So went down that, went down the strength conditioning route went down the kind of physical therapy route. Um, I even went into like Chinese internal martial arts for a couple of years. And actually that stuff is probably some of the best stuff I've come across. 
so all the breathing stuff and that's actually what helped my knee the most it was all basically long isometrics um are not long isometrics but just isometrics in different positions trying to relax as much as possible um breathing in the position and that's what like my knee my knee went got perfect um and went down i studied under like ido portal i don't know if you've ever heard of him no yeah he's the conor mcgregor coach um i got a little bit broken up doing some of that stuff but i took some good stuff from it again um and then i studied under gary ward who you've had on the show um because basically the more i did my strength training and that yes i felt a little bit better but actually i felt like i moved worse so i was trying to figure out what was going on here um so i was feeling better my knees were feeling better but i actually moved worse and worse um, my movement got less fluid i felt less elastic um i felt like when i played sport i wasn't as strong i wasn't as fast but my knee felt okay. So I kind of had to, I wanted to find out how I can feel good and move good. Um, so that's kind of been some of my journey along the way. I love that, man. I love, uh, I love the first off, you mentioned long isometrics, <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, but just like the fact that you've, you've been on such an integrative journey and like the, the coaches and athletes who are, it all starts with like this journey where the way that was being, the things that were being fed to them weren't working and you had to figure it out yourself and, and going with the smartest people in the world. And, and yeah, Gary Ward, he's, he's the man being on this show before. I, I've learned a ton from him and his book and things like that. And one yeah. of the, um, you know, one of the things I was going to say too, like, <laughs> just like the modern health system too, like I, I posted this on, um, like a, like just a screenshot of this on social media. It was like an old Kaiser Permanente or a big, like it's a big, um, health insurance or health, health group here, uh, in the States. And it was like, what to do when you have knee pain. And it's like, this is 2020 almost. And it's like basically rest, ice and stretch were pretty much the big three things. And I'm just sitting here yeah. like, wow, we've really, it's like, you know, this is the year that there should be flying cars and and like, you know, like, and, and yet this is still what we're advice for giving people. It's insane. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's always awesome to talk to someone on the other end who's been through this huge integrative journey. And, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to chatting today. I, uh, yeah, me too. So one of the, yeah, one of the, so one of the things that I was really excited particularly, and this is the, what spurred me to get a hold of you on Skype the first time was that Will Clay triple jumping. And I, I know you're, um, you know, you're a big rehab guy, but the insights you have are awesome for athletic performance as well. And it was mm -hmm. a video of Will Clay triple jumping like 18 meters, 13 or something. And you had mentioned that you could see how well he was pronating in that particular jump. And so first off, uh, could you, uh, we'll explain first off what, just recap what pronation is for those people out there who might not be familiar with the, the term. And then when watching athletes move and run and jump, what are some things you see that demonstrate that? Yeah. So, yeah, re yeah. my my background is very much rehab and pain, but I do a little bit of performance-wise. But basically, we're all humans first, right? So mm -hmm. all our joints should be able to access these ranges of motion. And that's what happens when we move. And the best athletes do that. Regardless if they're walking or running or jumping, they're doing the same things um so what i see in a granny let's say who can't walk very well i see in an athlete who has pain i see the same thing it's just at a different level of load okay so um pronation is basically where all three arches of the foot are flattening to the floor at the same time the knee is pronation is a full body movement that's what gary will tell you gary is the master of pronation um in biomechanics it's a full body movement so every single joint is doing a certain thing at a moment in time that's a little bit too much to get into but basically the knee is traveling medial towards the big toe the arches are flattening when you're walking you'll still have three points of contact so you'll have the heel the ball of the first and the ball of the fifth um toes on the floor when you're sprinting you'll probably lose the ball of the first or you probably want to lose the ball of or sorry the ball of the fifth i should say you probably want to lose that um but yeah it's the same thing the same movements are happening when you're sprinting or walking um so basically when i when i saw what was the guy's name again uh, it was will was clay yes so basically he he was striking as far posterior and lateral as he could 
and then he was coming as far anterior uh, anterior and medial as he could um all the way through all the way through anterior medial there was none left there was nowhere left to go <laughs> and the big thing was that he delayed knee extension so 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 long like that knee did not move back until pretty much until the toes were off the floor and that is the big thing that is that is a big thing and it's something i learned from dave o'sullivan who's an amazing physio um and he's because i was trying to find out how i can get athletes to pronate better and basically knee extension would be a supination movement because the knee is going to come back the tibia is going to come back and it's going to try and externally rotate the talus okay so that foot is supinating um so if that knee comes back too early you can't pronate so everyone is out there trying to get triple extension, obsessed with triple extension. And all I want to do with any lower limb injury with anyone is delay knee extension as long as possible. Yeah, you and you and I don't my, know, does that answer your question? But <laughs> No, no, definitely does. Yeah, I'd like to dig into that a little bit, too, because what you were saying there and what my mentor, Darian Barr, has always taught me, that is like the, exactly the same thing. But it runs totally opposite to everything else that the sports performance world tends to do. It's like, are you doing, you know, Olympic lifts? Make sure you really triple extend. Are you doing uh, bounding? Are you doing uh, it's like this this intentional trying to extend these joints? When like and so if I can kind of reiterate when when somebody um, doesn't delay knee extension uh, or or just extends everything intentionally too early that causes a, a release that's more off the pinky toe side of the foot or you said it's more of a supination based release yeah that's how I would see it anyway because that knee coming back is is a supination type of movement so you're not pronating anymore as soon as that knee comes back. Um, so yeah, your pronation is done once that knee is coming back, or at least at least has started to straighten. It's definitely done then. Yeah, I, I I think that it's it's just one of those things where it's like you the the terms are always interesting. Uh, but I I could totally see. I do know this for sure that when I'm doing stuff like like a squatted run, like if I'm running in a squatted position for a prolonged period of time. And where there is, there's no, there's going to be no triple extension. My glutes always are activated way, way more than uh, a standard sprint. And of course, you are lower. Okay, you could say like you're lower. You're using your glutes more. But I always feel like the yeah. the link between the 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 pronation as well helps to activate the glute, right? So like if yeah. you're if you're, um, it all just works together. Yeah. Well kind of you can look at this in a couple of ways one is that knee extension is putting the hip towards end range very very early so you've no glute left to work pretty much it's just gone to end range straight away in the sagittal plane at least so if you can delay the knee extension the hip is still there it can still push you forward um and then the other one which I've probably forgotten about right now. But basically, if we, everyone talks about the glutes and we can all agree, yes, the glutes externally rotate the hip. But where did they do that from? It's from an internally rotated position. It's not from neutral. So everyone's out there doing their clams, doing their glute activation from neutral to externally rotated or neutral to extended, when really the glutes actually work in life outside the gym in every other activity from flexed to extended from internally rotated to externally rotated so if you want glutes stop going from neutral uh they might get you might get a big juicy peach in the gym but they're not they're, they're not glutes that are doing any work for you yeah and they're, they're not glutes that are probably connected to like the feet and integrated like the fascial the fascial trains and the way the body actually moves it's no no that's always something that's interesting to me with the strength i just noticed like the the typical like remedy for glutes as far as what i've been exposed to is usually oh you have weak glutes okay which it's funny that you mentioned that in your original story too like you know how many people just said you have weak glutes and that was the end of it with your knee uh yeah, yeah. which is it's just the more i've i've come along the more I, I find that humorous as well but like the typical remedy is oh you have weak glutes well yeah do some clamshells do some monster walks do some hip thrusts and there's nothing bad i i have nothing against like hip thrusts and things like that but it's not you know, there's, there's just the integration isn't there. And you see athletes who just, you know, the more you know about this, you see athletes with naturally really well-developed glutes and you see the way they walk and run and jump. And then it's like, 
oh yeah i want to do that too well, however you move i want to move like that you know <laughs> exactly exactly yeah and the weak glutes thing like i went so far down that rabbit hole that i was walking i was walking pushing my knees out i was squeezing my glutes when i walk like i was being told i need to squeeze my glutes when i walk squeeze my glutes when i run drive my knees out don't let my foot flatten down and it made me feel so crap like it gave me no choice but to figure out what like how do I pronate my foot because it just made me feel incredibly bad um and I see it in clinic with me every single day and there's like a mental block with people towards pronation they just don't want to do it they're they're like I'm like just bend your knee let me see what happens without saying anything and it's just going out to the pinky toe every time um and that isn't a recipe for not good glutes and a recipe for joints that feel like crap. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just funny you mentioned that too. Like the, when you bend your knees, the knee going out to the pinky. Um, I remember, you know, like in the, in the world of CrossFit, there's a really well-known figure or, or people I've seen who really advocate squatting in a way where the knee goes over like the pinky basically. And yeah. I remember seeing that same person like doing a vertical jump and it just looked like they were jumping in sand, like they weren't getting up at all. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. well, this makes sense. Like you could have a huge squat, but if you jump or move with your knee over your pinky and you don't pronate it at all, it's like you aren't going to get, it, basically you're jumping without a foot. It's like you're jumping on a peg leg almost. Yeah. Yeah. So I've no problem with squatting or anything in the gym. Um, but as soon as it messes up your biomechanics, you're done. You're, you're gone. So you can get as strong and as powerful as you want in the gym. But if that gets in the way of your biomechanics, which it, with a lot of people it does, it's just game over for you. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not. It's, you're messed up. There's something, there's something not, not quite right. And you're going to pay for it sooner rather than later, I would say. Sooner or later, but usually <laughs> sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, that's been the, that's, that's definitely been the case for me. Like, I know you had mentioned like you were lifting and your knees are feeling better, but like there was just that, that subtle takeaway from athleticism. Right. And it's like, yeah, to me, my, my journey has really led me towards this, this, okay, we strength, typical strength training cues. Okay. Squat hips back, <laughs> you know, chest out on your heels, supinated knees out, like everything that doesn't <laughs> happen when you explode, yeah. you pronate and explode. It's, 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 and it's, so I'm starting to learn that. And then my journey has been, well, how do I integrate these things back in to the weight yeah. room? But, but as soon as people start, as soon as you start telling people that it's okay to, to have your knees maybe come in a little bit when you squat, people start tripping over that or like this idea of pronating during athletic movement. And so, yeah. and I know you've been through that and, and mentioned it yourself. So how, what's your take on integrating like, like weights and squatting and and or deadlifts or hex deadlifts or basic you know full body floor based movements but yeah. looking at what the feet are doing and being appropriate with that yeah so it's actually you just need to so I, there is obviously a smart way to squat if you're if you're squatting heavy you probably don't want to be pronating very much mm-hmm. you don't want the knee coming miles inside you want your joints stacked on top or your bones stacked on top of each other so that that's not pushing the knees miles out. That's just being neutral, let's say. Yeah. So you just need to look at foot pressures then. Um, most people are pushing through the heels. You're going to get some glutes, but you're not getting anything else. Um, you'll probably get a lot of lower back, but you're get, you're de- you definitely will get some glutes. But they're not the they're not the fibers of the glutes that are pushing you forward when you run. Um, so you just need to look at foot pressures. I'm becoming a little bit infuriated by seeing people gripping the ground with their toes this is the new big cue grip the ground Mm -hmm. create a strong like stable base that is not a stable base your first metatarsal the head of it the ball of the metatarsal is off the floor um and you are you're just gripping like a i don't know like some kind of bird on a tree or something (laughs) like that so um as you descend, as you hip flex down in a squat, let's say, weight will obviously travel towards the heels a little bit. But you need to push as you come up. You need to get the weight forward into the midfoot and the forefoot as you push up. Um, and that's the same with all the foot pressures. No matter what you're doing in the gym, you want to hip extend using more of the foot. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I was, you know, I was gonna say it's just it's amazing how much uh, what 
what you're saying has resonated with some other guests of mine, like Darian Barr and then Pat Davidson as well, talking about squatting. And, and yeah, it's like this, it is interesting because I've heard people say grip the toes like it's going to activate the glutes more, like grip the big toe. Like it's, yeah. I mean, is there a difference between the little toe and the big toe and what toes um, are, are working in that process? Uh, you just want that, you just want that tripod. So you want the ball of the big toe, ball of the little toe, and the heel. And if you're gripping, probably none of the ball of the big toe or the ball of the little toe are gone. They're both gone. And you're just, you're just, you just have nothing anymore. You don't have a midfoot or a forefoot. You only have a heel then. You have heel and toes. That's it. That's not a tripod. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I've been watching, um, I, like I watch my children a lot because they're, they're one in three now. And so I, I always watch their feet when they're doing different things like running yeah. around or, <laughs> or whatever. And I'm always waiting to see if they're, because I know when they were really little, it seemed like their toes were kind of trying to grip more, like really little, like, because their feet are still maybe in a, maybe they haven't started walking yet. But I, I really never see my kids, like my daughter will jump off the couch and land and I don't see her toes grip down. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, she's three yeah. and, and I'm like, okay, if she's not doing it, then I don't think I need to be doing it either. You know, it's, yeah. it's that's definitely. Those are my... just a break. They're just a break. That's what they are. And people are, people are, so if you get someone in clinical, have someone just put one foot in front of the other and just bend your knee and see what happens. And that, that assessment is going to tell me more than anything else nearly. So just bend your knee. I don't tell them anything. Just bend your knee and you'll see all kinds of crazy stuff happen. But there are people would be racing into the forefoot and then the toes have to grip. They have no choice. So let's take away the toes and see what happens. Oh, oh, I just felt my glutes kick in. Yeah, because they're, they need to stop you falling over now. You know, so if the glutes aren't doing it, something else is going to do it. Uh, Gary says that the toes are like the last line of defense. They're the guys and you don't want them. They're too small. They're not they're not built for that. Um, so you stop using your toes to, as a break. That's not that's not what they're, they're there for. Maybe if you're just standing there talking to someone, the toes might be on and off a little bit, but not any other time. Yeah, I like it. It's like they're the guardrail, like thinking of that, that last that last line. I, yeah, it was a conversation with David Weck I had had a while ago. Him just telling me just how weak the toes were, like they weren't meant for that. I back in my younger days, I was like, I was like twenty five, and I was just thinking of new exercises for for jumping higher. And I had this big great idea. I was like, oh, what if you stood only on your big toes, like literally just just like you you went barefoot and you got on a a barbell like a plate and you put only your big toes on that plate and try to like yeah. lift and you there, you have no power it's like very 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 hard you have to like help yourself with a bar and it's just you're barely able to do it i'm like i don't think this joint is really we talk about pushing through the big toe but then you actually stand on your big toe and it's like oh like this thing has no strength compared to the arch of my yeah. foot exactly yeah and what do people do when they're rehabbing the foot it's all like towel gripping stuff, grip the toes. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to activate the arch. That's not an arch. And that's just a sagittal plane movement. Um, and that is not anything that replicates what happens with the foot and gait. Yeah, for sure. There is one area of toe gripping, and I don't know enough of this to really truly get into it. So I'll, and I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not causing too much of a ripple, but I, I have had some discussions on like the toe strength. And I think a lot of it's maybe more for like, older populations or like fall risks where there's like okay. you have to have a certain amount of toe strength to prevent yourself from pitching forward when needed uh, yeah and there was a study yeah there was actually some studies about that so i'm not gonna yeah that's i'm sure they're they're definitely needed at that stage um yeah there was something to do with older populations i've seen something to do with them studies yeah, there was there was another one that was like so. This is the other study I was thinking of, and this is just me kind of going off the cuff, or maybe I hope I'm not derailing this, but it's like this is just what pops in my head. It was like <laughs> when I was writing, when I was well, this was a long time ago before I wrote Speed Strength, and, and this is I think I put this in Speed Strength, but the the like there was some study where doing like towel gripping based work improved people's standing broad jumps a few centimeters versus controls. And I was like, okay. but the more I think about it, and the more I've like, uh, uh, the late, latest clinic I did with Adarian Barr, he was talking about the primary and secondary range of motions of the foot and ankle. And the secondary being that motion where your dorsiflexion range is basically cashed out, and now you get onto your toes for the second part of the range. And maybe yeah. if you're doing a standing broad jump, you're going to obviously have to like get really into that secondary range where your toe flex or 
not flexion, your toe extension, no, <laughs> whatever. Extension Ex- will be, yeah. Yeah, your yeah. extension, yeah. Your extension yeah. angle is maxed. So maybe some added strength in that specific scenario could be a, of yeah. benefit. Yeah. I had an athlete last year who I was working with, and I had done some um, counter-movement jump. Or no, it was... Yeah, I think it was a counter movement jump test, like jump testing with him. And I was just working on, he wasn't in pain or anything, working on his movement and improving. And I tested him four weeks in a row and he was testing really poorly. And I saw something and I was just, just checking other things on another day. And he had no big toe extension, I think, on the left side. He had like 20 degrees and we need 60 degrees. And so I played around with that, mobilized a little bit. We got him doing a little stretch and he jumped, retested afterwards and he jumped 12% higher straight away. Wow. So I don't know what happened. I just <laughs> saw that there's, there's something missing in your movement and I'm just going to see if we can give your body an experience of that. And then that stuck around. So the following week, he, that was his new vertical jump. Because <laughs> it, awesome. he, I had just given him some, some stretches for that toe in the meantime. Um, I don't know what happened, but it looked, both of us looked at each other without even looking at the Moyo test. <laughs> and we were like, what just happened? That was good. So then we looked at it and it, yeah, it was 12% up. So there's something going on there, but you just want them to do their own job and not do the arch's job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that, yeah, maybe it was something to do with, maybe there was like a secondary range of motion in that jump somewhere he gained something. I, yeah, I don't know, but like, um, it, it's almost like like the toes should be mobile and capable and have maybe have you know adequate and, and will definitely have adequate strength for what they need, but they shouldn't be gripping and taking away from the arches in the process. I guess would be a good way to to yeah say I think that. that summarizes um <laughs> a nice yeah yeah I think that summarizes it yeah <laughs> yeah that was a cool anecdote though I I, I always like hearing those things because yeah just to make sense of it it's like you know there is research obviously but it's like to make sense of the research you almost need all these little anecdotes and things in there that mm-hmm. that can kind of help you find find the, find the optimal path but I the last mm-hmm. line I really like that last line of defense thing and I'll have to keep that in mind when talking to athletes as well uh with yeah. with pronation too I wanted your take as well and like once athletes, because in that Will Clay triple jump, you could see he had that delayed hip extension. And then when he, and I'll have to post this in the show notes. So if you're listening to the show, check the show notes. I'll make sure I put that video in. But like when when his foot would release, you would see kind of almost like this little like flick of the foot or flick of the ankle. It almost like it signaled that he had pronated. Is there anything like in that load and explode, um, like like basically after the foot leaves the ground that you're seeing or looking for? Because I don't know how to describe it exactly. Um, I think there's yeah. a few things that I like, I, like an inward flick potentially, but I don't, not sure if it's always, yeah. is there anything that you, um, you see that, you know, an athlete's proning while, um, outside of the delayed extension? So I don't look necessarily at athletes be- because in Ireland, we don't have much track and field. So we have team sports and that's my background. So I, I'm not looking much at athletes who are doing track and field. And so I'm not looking at team sports athletes really who are pronating their foot. I'm just looking at them in clinic with me or as I'm sitting at a coffee shop walk, watching sure. people walk and sure. stuff. So I'm not trying to, I know you guys like Adarian is, is teaching people how to pronate when they run or, or whatever it is. Um, I don't get into that. I teach them how to pronate when they walk or, or, or just how to experience a pronation in in their daily life and then they go and run and they pronate their foot um i don't force it on the body because if the body doesn't want to do it i'm not going to force it there so i am just giving people an experience and it's not that pronation is anything special it's like if we look at it like this it's that I just look at what's missing. So no, no matter what, I want to give a person what's missing in their body. That might be a frontal plane in their pelvis. That might be extending the spine. That might be depressing the ribs. It could be anything. So I just want to give them what they're missing and the biggest thing they're missing. And when we get that, then I'll give you the next thing you're missing. So it's just that pronation is always missing. So it's not this special mystical thing. It's just a thing that's always, almost always missing. So it's like having a crick in your neck and you wake up with a crick in your neck and you can't look to the left for a week. And then that's like pronation except multiplied by 20 years, right? So when someone then, when you wake up and the crick in your neck is gone and you can look to the left, you're like, holy crap, mm-hmm. that feels amazing. I, 
oh, like that feels so good. I can now look to the left. That's pronation. When you get someone to pronate for the first time and they go for a walk, I don't cue them walking. I just say, go for a walk. And they're like, oh my God, I feel lighter. My pain is gone. I feel my glutes are working, my calf, my hamstring. I'm standing up taller. My shoulders have changed, whatever. It just, it's so... Yes, I'm, I'm looking at more of your videos now and how Adarian is, is looking at the pronation for an athlete and things like that. And I'm starting to see similarities. And I'm with my, with my athletes, I am trying to delay knee extension, but I'm not telling them to do anything when they run. I'm just training them and then they're just going and doing it. And then they just feel it because the body has said, yep, yeah, that feels good. I'm going to take it. Well, that's, and the body is smarter than me. <laughs> See, it's smarter than all of us. It's that's how we all learn. <laughs> I, I, so that's crazy. That's I think that's really cool how you're saying like you just teach them how to pronate, and then they will go run and automatically delay that um, knee extension. Yeah. So that's all. I'm just trying to give them what's missing, and the only reason pronation is so special because it should naturally happen. The bones are set up to give us pronation. The muscles are set up to delay pronation. Um, or to pull us out of pronation, I should say. Um, so then muscles are getting loaded as we pronate because that's when they're lengthening. And that's when they start to shorten and contract and push us forward. Um, so I just want people to experience that. And the reason I'm so obsessed with pronation is because that's always missing. Always. Yeah, I, I'm I've really... in the best guys. I've realized that myself. It's like that's that's that one thing that that squatting, traditional squats and cleans and and all that stuff, and even even sprinting. If you don't know, if you don't know any better, or you aren't modifying your foot or footwear at all. None of that stuff gives it to you. You have to be intentional and and find a different way to go and get it. And then once you have yeah. it, it changes everything. Yeah, but the best athletes are doing that. They yeah. never lost it. They just did it. Even though coaches are trying to tell them to stop, they just, they did it, they probably tried to stop it in their training and then they went out and ran or they jumped or they did whatever and they just did it. So they're the guys that are, they're the guys that, I don't know, maybe they're, we call them freaks, but they're the best guys. Yeah, well, 100%. And it's like, it's almost like, I think it's it's much easier to lose pronation than to get it back in many cases. Well, with, with our current knowledge and level of yeah. understanding on the average way we treat yeah. athletes, it's much easier to, to ruin someone's pronation over time. Uh, it is. And I see a massive correlation between, like, the more you've done in the gym, the worse your biomechanics are. And I'd probably be slated for, or lynched for saying that, but... The more I see, if someone comes into me and they're a big gym guy, they've been, oh, I, I squat every day for the last 10 years, your biomechanics are messed up. Unless that guy has gone and sprinted as well, unless they keep sprinting and walking mm-hmm. and that as well, that'll keep a little bit of that biomechanics in. But the more you've done in the gym without doing kind of human movement stuff, the less close to ideal that you're going to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. What you were saying too about like the, the fixing pronation and then they go out and delay knee extension automatically like that fits in really well with what Adarian has taught me about like basically a foot teaching mechanics from the foot up, like sensation of the foot upwards. And cause anything yeah. else you're kind of um, overriding, like the ability to let the foot pronate and release, like everything has to happen upstream in context of what's happening on that ground floor. Cause otherwise you're just going to yeah. rush things or it's not going to happen yeah. properly. Yeah, exactly. So if you can change one millimeter at the foot, it changes obviously what the knee is doing, what the hip is doing, what the pelvis is doing, every vertebra in the spine is doing, up to what the jaw is doing. So one millimeter will be, mean one, milli, one millimeter everywhere, unless you're not pronating because your hip doesn't want you to pronate, or your spine doesn't want you to pronate, or your jaw doesn't want hmm. to go in that position when you need to pronate. Hmm. So that's a different conversation. Then we need to look at the foot and the jaw. Or then we need to look at the little finger that's kind of getting in the way or something like that. So that's a little bit more tricky. But we still at some stage need to go down to the foot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's probably what you just mentioned is probably not. 
a 60 minute podcast that is a (laughs) six month course (laughs) at the minimum i'd imagine with all those things that could could fit into that but um but for the sake of all of us just just knowing that that how important that is and and how to get it uh or like just the baseline levels of how to get it Uh, and i know you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but I know um, it's, it's kind of one of your go-tos, like the wedge work with Gary that Gary has taught you and, and that type of thing. Or is there is there anything that's even simpler, like that someone with no equipment or just, um, you know, just an athlete in front of you can do and, or just think about to think about how an athlete is starting to get that range and, and motion in the foot? Yeah, um, the easiest thing is for people who are going to the gym is to stop pushing through your heels. Um try and use more of the foot so if you're in the gym even if you want to stand up off a chair just stand up and push through the midfoot and the forefoot and you'll feel your calf your hamstring and your glute um, rather than just pushing through your heels and feeling some of the glute Um, and that's something again that one of the guys i've worked with dave o'sullivan he's always talking about foot pressures in the gym and hand pressures in the gym Hmm. so hand pressures when you're doing certain things everyone wants to be on the heel of the hand and no one can get into like the ball of the huh. knuckles in the fingers. So even you see people doing like, let's say you're on all fours. Sorry, I know this is kind of off your question. Let's oh, say no, but if you're totally on fine. all fours in like a cat cow position. And if you just put your hands down, get your nose forward so that the weight comes into the knuckles of the hands. And then just twist and see, can you roll from the fifth, the, the pinky knuckle? into the so you're twisting from the shoulders see if you can come into the second or the fourth the third the second and the first can you get the weight into the knuckles people won't be even able to pronate their hands it's it's so funny they can't get the weight into the first knuckle or the second knuckle in their hand um and that's kind of where you get that that would be where you get that protraction at the shoulders and depression at the rib cage because that's going to try and protract the shoulders for you and as you know with the pri stuff people can't do that either so this this stuff is all the same thing it's just it's one thing so someone with a back problem and a knee problem and whatever it's just the same thing but anyway sorry back to your no i i I like that actually you saying that it's just so cool to see all these like great minds kind of like resonate i know uh, in the time I spent with uh, Gary Marinovich, who's Marv Marinovich's b- brother. So the Marinoviches are really big United States-based trainers. And their big resonating thing was like, don't grip a barbell. Like everything was hands and feet and like flicking. Like you would, instead of bench press, you would get under like a super cat, which is like a pneumatic machine and just basically flick it and with your fingers and follow through every time. Like it was just hands and feet. Yeah. And, and yeah. I was like, whoa, this is totally different than anything I've ever been through before. But even bear crawling, you to bear crawl, you have to use your fingers. You can't like just go on the nubs of your hand. You can, but it would be awkward yeah. and it would hurt. It wouldn't feel good. Yeah, so just in the bear crawl, get your nose forward, get the weight into the knuckles, um, and see if you can get the weight into the like the first second knuckles. And you'll be surprised that it's really hard for a lot of people because uh, we're told to squeeze our shoulder blades back and down. Mm. Um, so. But apart from that, if just for a regular person, let's say just for a mini assessment for yourself, just stand up in a mini split split stance, not a big wide stance, and just bend your, what, let's say your left leg is in front, you're going to bend your left knee, and just feel where the knee goes. And you want your, obviously, your body weight to travel with the leg, and just bend in and out and see what happens. And just see if you actually relax, where does the knee go? So if just forget about knee out is bad, knee in is good just relax and see where the knee wants to go and that knee will want to go towards the big toe hopefully um but because our feet are a little bit messed up you'll start to see that the kind of the outside of the foot is starting to roll up um you can't bend the the knee towards the big toe you're not getting that external rotation at the knee which is relative movement you're gripping with the toes, the heel wants to come up. And then it's just, yeah, so you can use wedges, you can use a sock, you can just fill space, you can change, you can put, let's say you can't get the ball of the big toe down, just put something under there, bring the ground up to that and just bend your knee and see how that feels. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's, it's, I, that's one of the, 
been the biggest explorations on my own end is just yeah working on pronating and i'm like stumbling along like i bought you know like even just using different just using different like sensory tools but it's like when i when i do get it right it's like i'll see an athlete jump like an inch and a half higher instantly and they're like floating and they couldn't before i'm like whoa like this is cool stuff uh david before we get too much farther i do want to get through some of these other ones uh and you talked to me before about differentiation in the foot i think this was a big gary uh, thing as well, but like how the forefoot and rear foot will work in opposition. Could you explain yeah. a little bit about that mm-hmm. is and, and how we can, I mean, I'm assuming training pronation can help that or can you just give me some more details yeah. in that area? Yes. Yeah, so they work in opposition. So let's say you're in the same position, you're going to bend that knee. If so, if the rear foot then is internally, so if the tibia is coming in and the knee is coming towards the big toe, the rear foot is internally rotating. In let's just take the transverse plane. If the forefoot also internally rotates, then the forefoot is doing like a supination movement, and the rear foot is doing a pronation movement. So to to get the medial arch to lengthen and flatten, we need the fo- the rear foot to internally rotate, as the forefoot externally rotates, and that's what creates that length along the medial arch. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean, what this loads is hard that. to it's hard to talk about and not see. Um, it's actually hard for most people to see, but mm-hmm. yeah, they need to do the opposite thing. So in the sagittal plane, as the rear foot, let's take the heel, as the heel is plantar flexing down, we need uh, we need the arches to get we need the foot to get longer in the sagittal plane. So if that's plantar flexing, we need the forefoot to do a relative dorsiflexion. I see. So basically, you can check that. Let's say you just check that. Put it, stand there. Again, left knee, left foot is forward. Put a pen against your the front of your toes. Um, and then as you bend your knee, can you push your, t- can the toes push the pen away? Interesting. That's very... Without lifting the heel or doing something weird with your toes, can you just bend mm-hmm. your knee and let the foot get longer in the sagittal plane? You and you and Adarian are drinking like the same the same whatever whatever it is because he always Adarian always tells me to like push my second toe forward when I'm doing various foot things. <laughs> That's where it came yeah. from. I love it. I, that makes sense to yep. me too. The pen example is is um, that pen example is definitely like very helpful and tangible. I think even if someone's just driving and you know for me I'll probably go and listen to what you said about the pronation supination actions of the forefoot and rear foot a few times myself, like because I I do know it is definitely harder. As you know, this is just the medium of podcast. It is what it is. But I think that the the pen example, especially, it definitely makes sense with what what basically the foot always has to length. The arches always have to lengthen, like to to shorten. Yeah. And I think that being the yeah. bottom line, like I, I think the something you had said to me before was like if you were going to throw a baseball, your hip has to get to separate from your shoulder. Like it has to get in front of your shoulder to stretch that fascia. Like if you don't do that, you're basically and your hip and your shoulder move at the same time, you're not going to throw very fast. You know, there has yeah, there's to... no load. Yeah, there's no load. And the reason people won't be able to push the pen forward is, one, they're, they're in a supinated position, and that foot is just really stiff. Or two, they're in a pronated position already, so the foot is already long. And again, there's no load there. Hmm. Yeah, so if you're over, yeah, if you're just basically not, if you have no degrees of freedom, if you're over supinated or over pronated, you're... You, you got nothing you got you. yeah exactly and that's the same with so with the pri stuff let's say the ribs are up actually here's a funny one i had a client in the other day who's 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 pronated his feet are pronated and he's blaming his anterior tilt for his shin splints and his ribs are up so it's and he says oh, i want to have supinated feet but ribs being up is causing an anterior tilt because the ribs and the pelvis always do the opposite thing. So you lift your ribs, your pelvis drops down, your femurs internally rotate, and your feet pronate. So that's why I really like the PRI stuff because if we can get the ribs down, we can get the pelvis to tuck, the femurs to externally rotate, and now our feet come back to neutral, and now we can pronate our feet. Oh yeah, But we can't if they're already there. Gotcha. So yeah, an overpronated person look upstream to to find things that will help get you pull you back in a neutral a little bit more. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So it might be starting at the feet, or it might be starting at the rib cage, or it might be it's probably both. 
actually, Gary, Gary might say that you need to give them more anterior tilt so that the tissues experience a lengthening and then a contraction, eccentric contraction, and that will shorten, that will bring you back to a posterior tilt. I got you. Yeah, it, it can get pretty complex once you get up there. Yeah, but sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, totally fine. I, I mean, I, I've taken some PRI stuff, and I think it's it's all really interesting to me, uh, especially, too, knowing where to go if, if something you're trying isn't working on the lower end, or at least knowing that it could be something else upstream, I think, is is important. I David, I, one last question or area I wanted to get to today was the idea, and I know we talked about this on Skype before a little bit ago, but like um, the idea is on the stable mobile paradigm. So, uh, you know, stable knee, loose or flexible ankle, uh, flexible hips, stable low back. It, like that whole that whole thing is you go throughout the chain of each joints alternating in stable and mobile patterns. Uh, what's your your take on that? And is there any updates to that kind of thinking? Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I know and respect people that use it, but I'm not a big fan at all. Um, every joint needs to move. Everything needs to move. So putting a label on a joint saying that needs to be stable and that needs to mo- be mobile doesn't help because what if the stable, what if the mobile joint, the joint that you're calling mobile needs to be stable? And what if the stable joint needs to be more mobile? What if it's not moving enough? Or what if the, you know, so it just doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. I saw a graph the other day. I don't know, do they include the foot in that? Do you know? Uh, you know, I was actually just trying to think. Do they, I guess if the ankle's mobile, well, you'd have to say the foot's locked. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they had the foot in there or not. Yeah, so I did see a graph the other day. I think it was on Instagram. And the graph showed that the foot was stable and that's just insane like you can just throw that in the bin straight away um every if you go for a walk on the beach or go for a walk in nature every single step you take that foot is landing on a different stone or whatever it's literally a mobile adapter every single step you take now it has to be stable as well so that's the perfect example actually if if the foot was stable it wouldn't have 33 joints as much as i didn't want to say that number there um, <laughs> they do a good job <laughs> it would have one joint um so that applies to every joint in the body it all needs to move as much as it needs to move so that and, and no more so everyone like the big thing is mobility training at the moment i'm not that big a fan i went down that loophole or that rabbit hole um i just want you to have enough of everything and what if that stable joint needs to move less then does the stable or what if that stable joint needs to move more then does that stay uh, putting that label on it help us yeah and i i couldn't agree more with especially like looking at the foot i mean because just everything we've just talked about with the pronation and 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 all the 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 loading of that arch and i don't know and i and again i don't know it may be some someone's adaptation of the original system with the foot there or things like that but even hearing how like the knee has like levels of rotation and flexion and there's there's a lot more motion in some of those joints than we think and i think that one of the things that always is interesting to me is like the it's almost like I know we need stability in joints, but it seems like it's almost an obsession amongst a lot of crowds. Like, like yeah. the, where stability is like the absolute priority, and it's kind of like I think that fits in a little bit with like the supination and the the locking. You know, you squat with yeah. your knees out and supinate through the heels, and you eventually get more locked out in a lot of ways. And so it's like yeah. we almost become over obsessed with stability. It's important to be stable for sure and joint centration all yeah. that, but it's also a, a little double edged sword when it comes to like you said. When you would at lifting, performing to your best as well. Yeah. So for the knee, for example, if you bend the knee and that goes towards the second toe, there's only sagittal plane movement at the knee. If you bring it towards the big, uh, the big toe, there's now sagittal and transverse plane. So the knee will end up in an externally rotated position because the femur will go further than the tibia. And sorry, now that's a bit much, but... Basically, you're going to get transverse plane load, so rotational load in the hamstrings and the glutes and the calves. And if you look at a picture of them muscles on any anatomy chart, you'll see that they are there for rotation, very much so. So yes, if you want, if you don't understand the anatomy, this isn't even opinion. This is just anatomy. This mm-hmm. is biomechanics, how it should work. 
So yes, you want a stable knee if, and yes, you do want a stable knee. When that foot hits the floor, if you're sprinting, you want that knee to co-contract hard. Um, but there's still a little bit of rotation there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 subtle, but it's not like a total law. Like it's, this is this is a fixed and locked up joint. And uh, it, it, I totally, I mean, it, it's. I think the more we know about, in, like you said, anatomy. Going back to that, I think the more that can kind of help us uh, navigate uh, biomechanics and, and related training. Uh, one thing I I think you mentioned co contractions as well, and that's that's something I've been interested in. I, I know we don't have a whole. <clears throat> there's not. Um, I don't have a ton of time left, but uh, you had mentioned getting uh, proper co-contractions. Uh, and, you know, co-contractions is kind of like one of those buzzwords. It's a, it's kind of a, a bigger, fancier word if, for a lot of, like, the up-and-coming fr- uh, stuff in sports performance. But uh, what are you looking for in, like, co- like on the level of co-contractions in people? I mean, it's a really general question, but, um, yeah. like, just fitting in with basic movements that people are trying to do. Could you give us some general examples of that? Yeah, so pain-wise, um, and, and the pain signs people, I don't want them to kill me. Yes, pain is a biopsychosocial thing, um, and I look at all that stuff, right? But we're just talking about biomechanics today more so. Um, pain-wise, you'll see a lot of knee pain. That It's just the same thing. The knee is snapping back. There's knee extension happening too soon. So they have no hip. They're just using all quads, and the knee is taking the, all the eccentric load. So... Um, movement wise that's all i do most of what i do apart from training pronation is just to delay knee extension so if you push through your midfoot and your forefoot let's say squatting that will actually delay knee extension and you get a slight little co-contraction at the knee and then your hip can do work Hmm. does that i don't know can you yeah, and that's kind of, yeah, I can't. That's I mean, it's similar to everything that Adarian has taught me. I keep bringing him up, but again, I just I just love how many correlations there are here. But like the idea of when you're like when you're accelerating in a sprint, you need the the quad. It's almost like the quad and hamstring uh, stabilize the knee so the glute can push. Uh, something like that. It's probably a little yeah. bit of a reductionist, like but but basically along those yeah. lines where that those muscles have to co-contract to delay knee extension and then then the glute yeah. can do its job yeah and you get achilles then too you get achilles doing the right thing as well then um yeah so you like all your tendonitis like i i went big down the isometrics which i know we've spoken a little bit about i don't actually use that much isometric holes anymore because if i can just find out why the tendon whatever tendon it is is being overloaded then i don't need it anymore um, so it just gives the movements back that the body is crying out for. So why is that tendon being overloaded? Yes, the isometrics makes the holes make the tendons feel amazing. Mm-hmm. And yes, they might be valuable for someone. But let's find out why the tendon is being overloaded. And then we don't need to do the, the isometric holds anymore. We just start to move better. Yeah, there really should be a place where you can get away from those, you know, like, it's always that two headed approach, asymmetrics help you feel great. But then everything that you're doing is like, well, let's get to the source of all this. Let's get to the reason why this is hurting. So you can just play, move and play and be like, uh, you know, like an animal doesn't need to do isometric holds. It just, it just moves (laughs) properly. And so, yeah. 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 Um, You can have both. You can have both. Like, you can obviously have both. But that's where I'm, I haven't had to do an isometric hold for my knee in three years let's say um i just don't need to do it and every day i just look at my biomechanics i check in with my body for a few minutes and i just keep kind of barely improving like millimeters how i move or not millimeters over months let's say Mm -hmm. but then the tendons feel perfect so i've had the achilles problems i changed all my biomechanics because my body was a mess and then i'm trying to work all that stuff back out again um or back in is probably a better word um, and the tendons, I don't need to do much isometrics anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a perfect apart way to put from, it. Apart from training, so I, I I might be sound like I'm contradicting myself in terms of I'm looking for co contractions, but I don't need to do the big long holes anymore. Yeah, because you yeah because you're 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 co contracting correctly. Like if you move correctly, then you don't need to do that stuff. <laughs> it's uh, it's just yeah, it's it's. I definitely think it's the goal where we, you know, it's, I think it's awesome that the sports performance field is finding these means and, and, and training adaptations like the isometrics and, and some of the related work there that's helping get people out of pain. But at the end of the day, 
Like there's, I always felt like that rabbit hole certainly goes farther into the biomechanics behind it all. And I think it's easy to pick one camp or the other too. Like some people just hold to the strength. This is good enough. This is fine. This is working. But then, and some people will be all the way on the other side. You know, we just needed to do more, you know, mechanics, but it's like at the end of the day, some blend of both, I think is optimal for, for getting people where they need to be. Everything works, right? So (laughs) it's just finding that blend. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show today. I learned a ton from you. It was awesome to talk. I hope we talk again soon. And uh, have a good evening over there in Ireland. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, and and good job too. I, I was very impressed with the thirty threes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me on, Joel. I really enjoyed it, and I love 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 seeing all your stuff. Um, and love the podcast. So it's been really good. <laughs> All right, that does it. Uh, Episode 160 is in the books. Thanks for listening, y'all. We are 40 episodes away from 200, which is pretty cool. I I had no idea we'd be at 200 at some day when I started this whole thing, but now it's just we're closing in on it. Uh, Speaking of 200 as well, it was my goal for 2019 that we could get up to 200 ratings or reviews on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts. And so if you could, if you have an iPhone and if you're in that universe and want to leave us a rating or review there, I would really appreciate that. If you do have an iPhone, that's pretty cool too. Uh, and however you could review the podcast, I would appreciate it. Even in, even you just listening, I appreciate that. So thank you for, for everything. Okay. Uh, before we leave, I definitely have to thank our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They have awesome stuff in their store. Freelap timing system is my go-to timing system. Been using it for a while. I love it. It is definitely sweeping the country and the world. So if you want to get your hands on one, check out what they have there at Simply Faster and many other things, contact grids, force plates, K-Box, and an awesome blog and really cool stuff going on. So we appreciate their sponsorship. Check them out. We will be back next week with Jake Schuster. Have a wonderful week, ladies and gentlemen.